Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. He gave himself for our sins to rescue us from this present evil age according to the will of our God and Father, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is the Gospel history according to St. Matthew, as recorded in chapter 18, verses 21 through 35. To remind you of that account, I will read the first two verses. Then Peter came up and asked Jesus, Lord, how many times must I forgive my brother when he sins against me? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, Not seven times, but I tell you as many as seventy-seven times. This is the gospel history of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't want to get too deep into reading things that aren't there in Scripture. But in the Scripture, some numbers have value. And the number seven is the number of perfection. Three in one God, one God in three. So we get the number of perfection. I suspect, and if you want to argue with me, I can only say because seven's a number of perfection, that Peter was struggling to say, Lord, are we supposed to perfectly always forgive our brother? But didn't quite want to boldly ask it. So we go with the number seven, the number of perfection. Yes, Peter, that's it. Jesus replies, not seven times, but 77 times. Now, we've got to be careful how we understand that, because if we're keeping a ticker going, ah, you've committed this sin against me again, and you repented, ah, we're at number 77, I'm done forgiving you. Let's admit it. You have sins you struggle with, and when left alone, you will lose the struggle. Sometimes right in broad public daylight with those sins that are your weaknesses, you will lose the struggle. And you wish you didn't have to struggle with them. You hate them, but these are your special weakness. So you don't want a brother or sister in Christ going, there you go again, and I am not going to forgive you. We're at number 78. Jesus is saying we have to forgive perfectly over and over again. Now, isn't this easy to do if you put yourself in the feet of Joseph? Oh, maybe it wasn't so easy when he was rotting away in prison. But when he got to see the whole scheme of how God was working, remember his brothers were running off after the Canaanites and were being polluted by their detestable worship practices. Remember their worship involved sexual perversion and there were other things. They didn't care about the coming Savior. So God used their selling him into slavery in Egypt to end up putting him as Pharaoh's right-hand man and get that whole family down where they would grow into a nation where they, even though the, the Egyptians also did not have proper worship practices, they were not quite as misleading. So Joseph was able to look back and say, it's okay. I could see God's hand at work. Praise be to the Lord. But are there times when we can do that? When all we know is that we're being hurt? Jesus tells us that it's for this reason that the kingdom of God is like a human king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle them, a man who owed him 10,000 talents. To put that in perspective, for the average blue-collar worker today, that would be 16 and almost a half years wages. Enough to buy a new house, pretty much, right? Now, this guy may be a slave, he may be just a servant. Probably this is back taxes owed or something, but the one thing that's clear is... There's no way he had that payment. And so he did the only thing he could do because the master demanded, since he can't repay, that, that he be sold into slavery along with his wife and his children and all that he owned to repay the debt and that probably wasn't going to pay it all off. You know, the IRS does this. 
If you default on payments, they'll come in, they'll sell your business and everything, and they may get pennies on the dollar. It doesn't matter. They're getting their money, right? So that's how the king is viewing this. And brothers and sisters in Christ, this is an unpayable debt. Think about it. If he's being sold off, the king's only going to get whatever he gets out of that cell, and he's done. He's going to fall short. So what does the guy do? He begs for mercy. And he says, and I will pay it back. Just, just patience, just time. And the king did something amazing. He didn't say, yeah, go ahead and pay me back. He released him from slavery because he was about to be sold as a slave. And he forgave him the debt. And the Greek word used here for forgive is Kind of neat, because it's to completely release and let go. Yeah, growing up here in Wyoming as a kid, I remember after birthday parties, setting a helium-filled balloon off in the atmosphere. Very rarely do you have a no-wind day. So usually, whoosh, that balloon's gone out in the atmosphere in a hurry. You watch it disappear. That's what the king did with his debt. And that is you and I, brothers and sisters in Christ, because the debt that is owed is for our sin. Now, all too often, all man-made religions think of sin differently. And sadly, too many Christians allow work righteousness to creep in. And they think of it as the same way. They think God has scales. And you've got holiness and unholiness. And, you know, I sinned again this week, so I've got to do a little bit more good than bad. And we've got to get that scale to just tip just a hair's breadth on the good side. And I'm saved. That's not how it works. If a person is doing a good deed in order to try to erase a sin in God's eyes, they're already sinning. They're sinning against their Savior and, and sinning in other ways as well. God doesn't say have a little bit more good on the scales than bad. God says if you're going to be saved, I am perfectly holy and you have to be perfectly holy. But even if we were to try to play the scales game, if you're trying to do good, I've already said if you're trying to do good to make up for a sin, you're already sinning against God. You're making yourself your Savior. And you continue sinning. So you're never going to pay off this debt. This is why in our natural state we are slaves. Slaves to the devil and slaves to our sinful nature. So God took pity on us. He became a man. He lived perfectly holy all the time. Tempted in every way but never fell into temptation. All of his good Put on your scale when you come to faith. Holy Spirit in your heart. Ah, but we still got that sin on the scale and we can't have any unholiness, period. So the God-man dies on the cross and rises victorious. His precious blood erases it. He sends His Holy Spirit into our hearts and gives us faith, uniting Him to Himself. So when God looks at you, God the Father, he sees Christ's righteousness and obedience. And when he looks at Christ, he sees your sins are paid in full. Yes, brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiveness, according to what God demands, according to our text, according to our epistle lesson, according to our Old Testament lesson, it is truly supernatural. It is not the ways of this world. It is supernatural because God has forgiven you an unpayable debt. He took your place. He put His Holy Spirit in your heart. This defies science. This defies the ways of the world. It is truly supernatural and it is amazing grace and we revel in it. What if? What if somebody sins against us? I mean, let's admit it. People are mean. 
People do cruel things. Just watch the news and hear the things that both sides of the political spectrum are misreading and accusing the other of, claiming to read hearts and minds and the name-calling and the backbiting and the way our nation is tearing into each other because of political correctness. And when you're the victim of it, isn't it easy to be bitter? There's the warning in our epistle lesson. It says, Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed under the day of redemption. Because you see, we have been forgiven. And if we refuse to forgive, we are giving our bitterness, our grudge, a place in our heart where the Holy Spirit belongs. And if we persist and hold in it, we'll squeeze that Holy Spirit right out of our heart. We will grieve Him and He will depart. So Jesus continues the comparison. Remember the guy owed roughly 16, not quite a half year's wages in debt and the whole thing's forgiven. But when the servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 denarii. Not quite three and a half months wages. 16 and almost a half years wages owed versus not quite a fiscal quarter owed. Three and a half months. So what does he do? Wow, I've just been forgiven 16 and a half years wages. You're one third of a year's wages. Let's just sweep that under the rug. Oh no, he grabbed him and began choking him saying, pay me what you owe me. The fellow servant did what he, the other guy had done. He begged for mercy and his debt was actually able to be repaid. It was very practical that this debt could be repaid. But instead, he throws him into prison. One of the beauties of our country, I'm not going to digress into politics, is that our founding fathers recognized there was something wrong with debtor's prison and they did not work it into our constitution. Charles Dickens, one of the great authors of the Victorian age, wrote a lot about debtor's prison because he saw the folly in it. You see, if you're supposed to pay off a debt and you're thrown in prison until you can pay off the debt, how are you going to pay off that debt? It's nearly impossible unless some benefactor comes along for you. So how is it that we do this? We stonewall people who've hurt us. I'm not going to talk to you about this ever. Guess what? They're never going to come and be able to say, look, I screwed up. I'm sorry. If we're going la la la, I'm bitter at you. I hate you. I'm not listening to you. But brothers and sisters in Christ, people do sin against us. They do hurt us. So what happens? The servants go off and they report graphically the choking and everything that the ungrateful servant who owed 16 and a half years servant did and the master became angry, has him hauled in before him and calls him a wicked servant. He says, I forgave you. I let that go. All that debt that you begged me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had mercy on you? I forgave you a dump truck's full of debt. And you couldn't forgive a shovel full? You know, logic right there says, wow, how dumb is our sinful nature? Yet that's exactly what we do. Supernaturally, God's Holy Spirit in our heart helps us here. I have learned when somebody's hurt me and I'm having a hard time forgiving them because my sinful nature says, he hurt me, he hurt me. I can step back and say, now, let me think about how I have sinned against God in thought, word, and deed. I can't go five minutes, I can't go one minute without thinking something sinful towards God. 
Let me think about the debt he repaid for me. Now, would I wish hell on this person? Sometimes the Holy Spirit working in our heart works very supernaturally and allows us to put it in that perspective. I've been forgiven a dump truck load of debt. I can let this go. But what happens here is his master was angry and handed him over. And we translate the word here jailers until he could pay back everything he owed. That's debtor's prison again. But the word that's translated in jailers is translated into English because we don't have a word for this, especially in America. See, they were torturers. In the king's jail, you tortured somebody to get information out of them. Sometimes you tortured them to get in a confession, and they were going to confess because they were being tortured. Torturers. Not only is this guy in prison now that he's never going to be able to pay off this debt, but he's being tortured. Guess what the prison is where we're tortured if we refuse to forgive those who sin against us after God has removed the dump truck full of the debt we owe him. This is an eternity in hell. This is a scary thing. And Jesus makes that abundantly clear to us. This is what my heavenly Father will also do to you unless each one of you forgives his brother from your hearts. So how are we able to forgive our brother from our hearts? Forgiveness is supernatural. This does not come by the way of the world. It comes because God empowers you to forgive others. First, he's forgiven you. He's put his Holy Spirit in your heart so you know that forgiveness. And this is one of the reasons why we come to church every Sunday. This is why we do devotions. He brings you into his word and he keeps nourishing you and empowering you with his forgiveness so that you in a supernatural way can forgive those who harm us. But let's not be Pollyannish, brothers and sisters in Christ. There are ways one human being can sin against another human being that do a lifetime of damage. A woman is violently raped, just raped, period. Let's not kid ourselves. That is going to have psychological and often physical damage to her body that will never be the same. A person molests a child. Same thing. This is going to impact into marriage and relationships and everything else. And sometimes we can be foolish and think that forgiveness means that we don't let the government do its job. Remember, God did create government to function as a curb and to protect us from such behavior. So, a woman who has been raped is going to struggle to forgive, is going to struggle with the hurt. She will find the power in the Word of God, but she also, out of love for her fellow man, will testify in court because somebody who has sinned that way, society needs to be protected from them. She is not safe with that person. Others are not safe with that person. So we let the government lock them away for a period of time. Not only to curb them so they go, wow, that stunk. I didn't want to do that, make do that again. But so that others are protected. Forgiveness does not, people will confuse this, does not mean that we won't look out for our fellow man and see that they're protected as well. Forgiveness is supernatural, and Jesus, in another way, in sending us out in the world, says to be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. So, if somebody sins constantly against me, maybe I need to recognize this as a weakness. Take addiction. It's been in the news a lot that right now painkillers are a great addiction. People get prescribed, over-prescribed painkillers when their prescription's off. They're hooked on them and they need them. If I have somebody who keeps coming into my house and breaking into my medicine cabinet when they're there for dinner or whatever and they're taking my painkillers, 
Maybe being as smart as a snake and as innocent as a dove means I find a place to hide that painkiller. If I have a brother or sister in Christ who struggles with alcoholism, it certainly would not be loving of me to have alcohol all around them and be to be chugging down a cold one in front of them and then wonder why they stole all my beer. Yes, there's also a point where the person sins against us and we forgive them, but we also want to be smart about that. Like I said, if a woman is raped, she would be foolish to be alone in the room with that person probably ever again in her life. And sometimes being smart like that, there's ways, this, is a, this parable was about debt, right? God, Jesus uses earthly money as a debt. You know how often I've seen in families, one brother, he doesn't quite need a large enough loan to go to the bank, or maybe he just can't get the loan from the bank, so he goes to his brother and says, can you pass me on a couple hundred bucks just to get me by until payday and I'll pay you back? Yeah, the brother says. And then payday comes and he doesn't pay him back and now that guy's got to borrow money to feed his kids. Sometimes we got to be smart, brothers and sisters in Christ. The best advice I've been given is if you're going to borrow money to a friend or to a, a brother or sister and you know that they need it, ask yourself, can I afford to give it away? doesn't mean you don't tell them to pay you back, but if you say if they default on me, I don't care, I'll consider it a gift, then you're not going to have that bitterness to begin with. But you know, as I've said, we sin against each other every day and it's very easy to just hold on to that grudge. And you know, if you recognize this as somebody's sin, plan around that. Know this is their weakness. But one of the great ways God supernaturally gives us to help, we're going to celebrate here after I'm done with the sermon and we've said the prayer of the church. You're not just going to receive the body and blood of our Lord. You're going to receive it with His body, the church, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He empowers you to forgive. And there's a difference. If you're struggling to forgive somebody, saying, Lord, I'm having a hard time with this. Come, come, let the Lord nourish you with his word. Come and, 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 and take his body and blood and let it supernaturally empower you. But if you're saying, I refuse to forgive, then God is saying, you better stay away from my supper because you will be sinning against my body and blood and I will account, hold you accountable. So we also see here, brothers and sisters in Christ, forgiveness is supernatural because God empowers you to forgive and has made you a steward of being smart with that and working around it and helping your brother or sister in Christ in their weakness. And so today we thank our Lord. Forgiveness is supernatural. That begins with the fact that God has forgiven you an unpayable debt. And boy, does that clear out the load of bitterness when we look at that. But it continues because God empowers you with his word, with his sacraments, with the very forgiveness he's already given to you to forgive others. Amen. Now may the God of peace who brought back from the dead our Lord Jesus Christ, that great shepherd of sheep in connection with his blood, which established the eternal testimony, may he equip you with everything good for doing his will as he works in us what is good and pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ. To him be glory forever and ever. Amen.